really good time. Uh, we gave out cookies. We ate cookies. It was good. And uh, it's great to see some of you here. I think we uh, um, connected with you guys, kind of naps on your door. So we appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Paul. Um, I'm not from Texas, um, just in case you're kind of figuring that out right now. So uh, really here, um, excited about this morning. I absolutely love Easter Monday. Uh, last week, we were talking about the difference between uh, what the devil does, who condemns us. He says, you know, you've done some awful things. End of story. And what God does, which is sometimes say to us, you've done some bad stuff, but there is hope, there is redemption, there is forgiveness, there's transformation, and we're excited about that. So uh, this morning, we're going to talk about Easter, but a little bit differently from normal. So um, my wife, actually, uh, the Foxy Lynn, pointed something out to me uh, yesterday. There was something I didn't know, because you can always learn something new, uh, something I didn't know about uh, the kind of resurrection story. So in the tomb, uh, it says in the scriptures that there was a... Um, a face cloth or a napkin put over Jesus' uh, face and uh, it was taken off and the, the scriptures um, take some time to clearly explain this napkin in certain translations explains it was taken, uh, put aside from all the other linens and folded over uh, in the tomb uh, which is significant apparently um, and it all relates to the master-servant story so uh, when a, a servant was serving the master and the master was having a meal what would happen is at the end of the meal, um, the master would be happy. Uh, he would um, finish with his meal, lick his fingers, wipe his fingers on the napkin and throw the napkin on the table saying, I'm done. And the servant would come in and the servant would clear everything up. But if the master folded the napkin and put it by the side of his meal, it had a message to the servant, which is don't clear up yet. I'm not finished, I'll be back. And I love that thought that at the resurrection, there's this concept, this, this sign that Jesus will be back. And the work on the cross is done. The work on the cross is done, it's finished with. But the work on this planet is yet to be done. God is calling us. So at Saints Church, uh, we have um, strong belief on why God has uh, founded the church. So um, I believe, and this is just me speaking, I believe that Easter sometimes brings out the worst in Christian leaders and Christian leadership because um, I was watching the TV and, and stuff this week and looking on social media and there's so many adverts for churches um, go to our church, come to our church, uh, which is kind of cool because uh, as one pastor said this week, uh, Easter's like the Christian version of the Sunday service Super Bowl. It's when lots of people go to church. Um, the problem is sometimes there's almost a competition, it seems, and... Um, uh, we believe at Saints Church that God put this church here for a purpose, and the purpose was not to make our lives convenient. Uh, as convenient as Saints Church is, being, I love the fact that I can get up and walk to church. It's like the old days. Um, I love that idea. I love the fact, but I don't think God was in heaven thinking, those poor Viridians, uh, they have to drive 15 minutes to church. Their coffee's cold by the time they get there. We need to put a church. There's a different reason and the reason is this, and we say all the time uh, at Saints Church, the reason you exist is this, is because uh, God didn't have anyone exactly like you, and he wanted someone exactly like you. And so he made you, he created you. And he didn't come simply at Easter to, uh, or Christmas I should say, he didn't simply come to rescue us, he came to recruit us for his purposes. Uh, and that's pretty tough, that's a pretty tough thought that Jesus didn't just come to get us 
to put our bum, as we say in England, on a seat and be rescued, but he came to recruit us for his purposes. And because each of every one of us is different, we have a different skill set, different abilities, different callings upon our life for this big eternal purpose, which is to advance his kingdom. Now, um, when, when I think about that, what happens to me is a billion different excuses come into my mind why I can't do the things that God has called me to do. And what I take encouragement from is a, a chap in the Bible who you wouldn't normally uh, talk about at Easter, but I want to talk about this Easter, and it's Moses. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to look at Moses' calling with this message of hope that he was given and rescue and the excuses that Moses comes up with. So we're in Exodus chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 4. Exodus chapter 3, starting at verse 4. So the story so far is uh, Moses has completely messed up. He's in the wilderness. There's this strange, weird vision he sees of a, a bush that is burning, but no, it doesn't burn up. And, and we take the story from there. God called to him within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer. Moses said, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. I'm concerned about their suffering, and so I have come to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 10, so now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. God says, I've seen their suffering. I'm going to do something about it. What I'm going to do is send you. And Moses comes up with some brilliant excuses excuses that I've come up with and maybe you have now the fact of the matter is that um, even though we live in a lovely environment most of us will know there are all sorts of uh, awful things that are happening in the world um, we, we lived in a place called Moston in Manchester and uh, it was a little bit more obvious you could see uh, the issues I remember one day we got this uh, came through our door this was a a little leaflet, it was a, a tri-leaflet, you know, three parts leaflet. And it was about a young boy called Robert, probably around about age of 14. And Robert was a bad lad. He was uh, given what's called an ASBO in England, an antisocial behavior order. Uh, an ASBO is when you're not bad enough or you're too young to go to jail. So they give you this antisocial behavior order. And essentially, uh, they said that he's not allowed or he wasn't allowed outside this little map area. That is about the same distance between the school and the lake. So he wasn't allowed outside of that lake. And it goes to all the things he's done and all the issues. And then there's this amazing bit. And I thought, oh, what, you know, how do we help? And it says, what you can do. And I'm thinking, fantastic. What can we do? And it says this. If you see McDermott Blake break his ASBO, please contact the police or the council's local housing service, safe in the knowledge that we will protect your privacy. In other words, if you see him outside of the red line, give us a call. We won't tell anybody it was you, and we'll lock him away. So I look at this leaflet. I've kept this for years now because I think you can sum up this leaflet in three words. We give up. We give up. And uh, if the church gives up, 
all the church does nothing, then young people like this and many of the hurting people in our world will suffer. Now, I'm not saying Robert's a good lad. He's probably a pretty nasty lad. But he needs more than just to be told to sit in his house in that place. He needs the church to rise up and make a difference. But Moses, seeing the people who were enslaved, people, seeing the people who were trapped in Egypt, comes up with some brilliant excuses. I'm going to take you through these in a moment. You have to realize it was an unpopular message. One of the things that people don't realize is that when God asked Moses to take people out of Egypt, it was a chunk of people. So uh, in uh, one of, I think it's Numbers, um, yeah, it says that there was something like, sorry, Exodus says 600,000 adult Hebrews. So there was around about, there was all the men, uh, there was all the women, and there was all the non-Hebrews. They think there was about 2 million people left Egypt. At that time, at most, there were 6 million people living in Egypt. So Moses took, we think, around about a third of the population out. It wasn't just the population, it was the workforce. It was the people who did all the dirty jobs. It was uh, the people who were the laborers, the people who were the servants, the people who cleaned up after everybody. And Pharaoh knew if I lose a third of this population, the rest of us have to do those dirty jobs. It was a big task. And so Moses comes up with some great excuses. And the fact of the matter is, if you know the Lord, and even if you don't know the Lord yet, he's calling you for his purposes. And Moses comes up with the kind of excuses I come up with all the time. Let me just read uh, the first one to you. Uh, he says this, uh, Exodus 3, verse 11. This is his first reply. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He said, I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. This is not a picture of Moses. This is a picture of me. Just, uh, I normally show another picture, but it's just too scary. So I, show, I thought this was slightly less, maybe it's not less scary, actually, when I look at it. <laughs> Um, so uh, forgive me because some of you will know this story. This is our, our six-month kind of anniversary of, of Saints Church. Now we've been here six months, so I'm going to start to that place where I start retelling stories. I'm pretty sure. But uh, I was kicked out out of my first ever school, so uh, I have um, speech uh, impediments. You just think I'm English, but actually I have, I have a problem. And uh, I was sent to a school for special needs when I was six years old. It was elocution, movement, and dance lessons. So it was me and a lot of little girls in ballerina outfits. And um, I got expelled at the age of six for biting the girls. So I was sent, which isn't a good thing, Becky. Which I, and I got sent to the doctors who said, Mr. and Mrs. Gibbs, Paul is a problem child and always will be. Don't know if anybody ever, ever labeled you like that. Paul is a problem child and always will be. And here's what I've learned, though, is when I came to know the Lord, when I was 14, I, my parents weren't Christians, but when I came to know the Lord at 14, I found out that God had a different view of me and that God has a different view of you. And bizarrely, God called me to do schools work. So uh, when I got to about 23 years old, God called me to be like a missionary into the schools. And it was bizarre because I learned so much at age 14 about mission when I was a young person at school. You know, years later, um, Many of you know this, and, and Ryan mentioned it. We lead an organization called Pays. So we work, we, we've recruited thousands of missionaries now. We have some like three, 300 to 400 missionaries on six continents around the world, reaching young people. We have some amazing stories. You know, a couple of months ago, I heard about 350 young people in Islamabad who went on a Christian Bible course that we ran. 
um, hearing about one and a half thousand young people that we took on mission this year in America to reach their friends. I don't mean we had a building and we got uh, one and a half thousand young people into the building. I mean, we equipped and trained one and a half thousand young people to go on mission and reach their schools. And here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned over the years is that even though we might feel like a nobody, we have to realize that God simply wants us to be available. And God takes people who are available and he makes them into someone's. The second excuse, though, that Moses comes up with, I think is a particular popular one. He says this, I don't know all the answers. Anybody ever had that problem? I'm speaking to you, if you're a Christian and you've wanted to tell others about Jesus, have you ever had that thought where I just don't know if I know all the answers? You ever had that? It's amazing what comes into your, to your mind. We used to live in a small terrace house. It's like a small townhome, but the, 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 um, the walls in between each one are about that thick. And um, me and Lynn used to be always worried because, you know, we'd want to tell our neighbors about Jesus. And then we'd always remember they probably can hear us arguing between the walls, you know? It's amazing what the devil puts in your mind as you're about to go out and, and do his work. And another one could be, I don't know all the answers. This is what uh, Moses actually says in Exodus 3, verse 13. But Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? I don't know all the answers. Anybody ever felt like that? You don't know all the answers? Yeah. Um, Here's what I've learned, and I learned this at school. So when I was at school, they had a game called Crucify the Christian. So when the, when the, when the um, teachers were late for school, they would all go, particularly this one lad called Diggle, would go, hey, let's crucify the Christian. And everybody would go, yeah, and I'd go, yeah, and then realize it was me, and realize this is not a good thing. And they would hang me from the ceiling or bury me under the chairs and the tables. And I was not that popular at school. Uh, but one day, they, they said to me, you know what, Paul? Uh, we don't really believe you're really a Christian because Christians are supposed to turn the other cheek. And uh, they had a very simpli simplistic idea of what that meant. And, oh, would you turn the other cheek? So these guys used to pick on me for being a Christian and said, would you turn the other cheek? And I said to them, I don't know, maybe I would. I'm not sure. I don't know, maybe I would. Hopefully I would. Well, when you got to the last year at our school, you were on something called prefect duty. And prefect duty meant that during the, the dinner time, lunchtime, you stopped people going from uh, outside into the building. So I was on prefect duty one day and there was a knock on the door. And the door opened, there was this little boy. He was like really small. In my mind, he was so little that when he ran, he ran under my legs. He was like just a little, little wimpy lad. And I went, I'll go and get him, lads, because he was only little. So I went to get him and as I got him, and as I started to kind of pull him out of the room, there was this enormous boom. And the, sorry. And the door opened and there was this huge lad. He was like eight feet wide and about 10 feet tall, he was giant. And he looks at this boy, he goes, I'm gonna effing do all this kind of stuff to this little lad, I'm gonna do this to you, this little thing. And I'm thinking, what do I do? And I remember standing in front of this little boy and this big lad to stop him getting beaten up, but not knowing what I should do as a Christian. So I just stood there, turned the other cheek, it was this one, it got broken in three places. And uh, when you're a Christian, because I wanted to use my words, but when you're a Christian, you're limited, aren't you? Like, you know, I'm in this fight, everybody's watching, and I'm like, you Johnny Naughty Boy, you, isn't really cutting it. Not really exactly what's in my heart to say at that moment in time. So it kind of spilled out inside, into the playground, and people were watching, and eventually I did say a couple of things that made him feel a bit silly, and he, he walked away. And then afterwards, in the next class, 
I know you're thinking, what's this got to do with Easter? It will make sense in a minute. Afterwards, in his class, I'm there, and I'm in class, and um, he walks in this room, and he points at me and says, Gibbs, after school, you're dead. I'm like, all right, then. <laughs> so after school comes. In my school, in the 70s, so uh, I'm about like the early 70s now, uh, we used to have flare pants. Did you ever have flare pants? So lads, did you have flare pants with pockets in them where you used to put your books? No, okay, just, we're nearly there, but not quite. So you in my school, you didn't walk in the 70s. You kind of went like that in the 70s because you had these pants. So I'm walking out to the school gates. All the fights used to happen at the school gates. So I'm walking out. By the time I get there, there's a massive circle of lads waiting for the fight to happen because it got around school. I'm there. He never shows up. This lad never shows up. So I'm thinking, tomorrow he's gonna, this guy's going to show up. Tomorrow comes, never shows up. Third day, never shows up. I never, ever saw him ever again in my life. So did God magically know? What happened was this. Um, about, I don't know, six years later, five, six years later, I was, I was preaching in a church nearby the school. And this young man comes up to me who was in my class and had, got, had become a Christian after school. And, he, and we were talking about school and we were talking about a few different stories. And this one came up and he said, well, you know what happened, don't you? I said, no. You don't know what happened to him? I said, no. He said, oh, let me tell you. He said, when he came in and threatened you, all the lads in the sixth form, which was about 50, 60 lads, got together, sent eight lads to see him. They went up to him and said, Paul Gibbs is a Christian. Mess with Paul Gibbs and you mess with the sixth form. The next day, his mother brought him into school and they took him out for safety reasons into a different school. And what I learned from that is you don't always have to win the argument. You just have to win the person. And actually, it's more about character sometimes than it's words. People see things you don't realize they're seeing. Because these are the same guys who used to hang me up from ceilings and bury me under chairs. But that was just because they were bored. In reality, something what God was saying was getting through, and one of them at least became a Christian afterwards. I just never knew. You never know what God will do with your words. You never know what God will do with your life. So when Moses says to when Moses says to God, who's saying to him, I want you to be part of this rescue mission, as he's saying to all of us, Moses says, well, I don't know what to say. And God says, makes no difference. I often tell the story, um, just, just briefly, of this um, hockey match. In England, I've never been to an ice hockey match. We came to the first one in the States when we came over. Uh, our sons were, were about um, eight and ten, I think, or nine and eleven. And uh, we went with a friend who's Canadian who, who loves hockey. And there was a fight breaks out on the uh, rink. And uh, in England, we call it handbags at six paces. So they're just like tapping each other. And uh, my mate was like getting a bit excited. I could, I could see him getting excited, but he clearly thought, I can't, you know, he's a Christian worker. I can't get excited about a fight in front of my, 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 my pastor and his two sons. So he's holding it in, in like this, you know. <laughs> And then, then the fight, uh, second fight breaks out and he kind of gets a bit animated. And the first time, Joel and Levi, they were just like looking. Joel was probably asking me for a burger because he normally was. They just weren't noticing. There's a fight there asking for food. The second time, he's getting a bit more animated. My boys are noticing that, oh, there's a fight or oh, something happening on the ring. The third time, he's up on his feet. He can't leather him. You know, he's just like, he's excited. And my boys, they're getting excited. They're getting passionate. And what I realized then, even as a parent, was this. Our beliefs don't transfer, our passions do. And we can teach as much as we want. And Moses can say, I don't know all the words. The reality is what we do that makes the difference. It's, yes, it's our words, but it's our passions. It's what we're prepared to sacrifice for. It's where we're prepared to go. It's what we're prepared to do. We can all do that. 
And God can give us the words, as we'll see in a minute, as it comes along. The third excuse he had was this. I'm not that convincing. Moses answered, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Um, I hope you don't mind. I, I said to the leaders, I'm going to tell a few stories this morning, which is different for Easter, but I just felt it was on my heart. So when I was at school, another thing I learned about sharing my faith uh, came on a day that I'll never forget for the rest of my life. So um, as, you, as I've mentioned, I was growing up at school in the 70s, and in England, uh, Margaret Thatcher was in power, and she was fighting against the trade unions, and, and there was all sorts of a hullabaloo going on. There was a right kerfuffle, as we say in England. And um, a lot of the uh, kind of uh, working class went on strike. So we decided at our school, we'd go on strike as well. So we thought, that'd be a great idea. We'd go on strike. So at lunchtime, what we'll do is we just won't go in. At the end, when the bell goes, we won't go back to school. So uh, we were all out in the playground. The bell went. We didn't move. About 250 of us stood in this place called the alcove, shouting, strike, 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 strike. And we just didn't go back into school. It was about five minutes till the school actually realized there were no students back in the school. But what happened next has made a difference in my, in my walk with God for, for, for a long, long time. But I just have to go back a bit. Um, we had all sorts of weird teachers in my school. We had a guy called... Mr. Cox, I probably shouldn't say his name is recorded, Mr. C. And uh, Mr. C was a, an atheist and an anarchist. And he used to, everything he wore was black. He wore black shirt, black tie, black jacket, black pants, black Doc Martens, black socks. And he was one of the best fighters in our school. This teacher was better than some of the other teachers. And uh, what he did was, um, in our school, we had the strap. Do you have the strap in your school? Like a, a leather strip? It was like a mini whip. We'd get it on our hands, sometimes on our backside. Um, so often, I, I very rarely got the strap. I got the slipper all the time, usually a Dunlop green flash, if you remember them. Uh, but there was the, 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 the strap, we would get it. What Mr. C did, which was genius, was he would get the Christians out, because he was an English teacher, he'd get them to read something out with a swear word in it. And then if they didn't say the swear word, he'd give you the strap. It was just genius. So we were terrified of him. There was another teacher called Mr. W who used to tell dirty jokes all the time. So he was super popular because he would probably get put away nowadays, but in the 70s, that was okay. So he used to tell all these dirty jokes and all the lads loved him for it. There was Mr. M, the snapper. He was, he was interesting because he was really calm and then you could do something and he'd suddenly, suddenly he'd just switch. And he'd, so we called him the snapper because he would go crazy. I am going somewhere with this story. He would go crazy. So I remember coming out of school one day and it was, it was um, snowing. I walked out of school. There's an L-shaped playground. I walked out, and there was no boys. It was an all-boys school I went to. There was no boys. But I could hear this distant roar. So I turned around the corner, and there's Mr. M, using a lot of, let's call it ancient Hebrew, shouting at the boys, I'll take a lot of you on here and now. And all the boys are around him with little snowballs. So I was not a naughty kid. But I was on a slightly different planet from everybody else. So I'm thinking, it's a game. So I picked up a snowball. It had a bit of grit in it. It was like perfect. Ran into the circle, threw the snowball. And just as I did, the world seemed to go in slow motion. So he's... <laughs> boom, on the bridge of his nose. And everybody was going, ah, quiet. Everybody like, looked at him, looked at me. I'm thinking... And then he belted for me. He comes after me. I run. I run. I slips on the ground. He came up, kicked me in the head three times, and he runs off. So he was like, he was pretty good until he snapped, and then he was pretty vicious. And then we had a, a final teacher called Mr. Newbury. Mr. Newbury was the Christian. Okay, he, was, he headed up the God Squad. 
which I was part of. Because um, he was the guy who kind of organized a mission that led me to Lord when I was 14 years old. So back to the strike. We're at the strike. Strike, 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 strike. And they realize finally that the kids aren't back in school. So they send out the teachers. So Mr. C comes out and basically threatens everybody. But although we were afraid of him, we're more afraid of each other than we are of him. So nobody budges. Then Mr. M walks out, same thing. Afraid of him, more afraid of each other. Nobody budges. Warbo, uh, Mr. W comes out. He, <laughs> he, <laughs> he makes some jokes and uh, tries to make us feel a bit daft. Doesn't work. We want to be cool, but the least cool thing you could do is break the strike. And I always remember what happened next. So Mr. Newbury comes out, fourth guy. And he walks out. And he, first of all, he doesn't do what everybody else does. So he doesn't shout at us at all. He just looks. And then he starts to walk towards us. And at first, we're all sniggering, thinking, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? And he gets closer to us. And as he gets closer to us, my heart almost stopped because I realized what he was doing. He was looking for the God Squad. And I made the foolish mistake of making eye contact with him. And he looks at me, and I remember, to this day, I remember what he did. He looked at me, he looked at me, and I went, Gibbs, you know this is wrong. Follow me. And he turned around and walked, and he never, he never even looked back. And guess what I did? I followed him. I followed him. It was incredible. And for me, that's what character does. The, the Bible says this. We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope, and hope does not disappoint us because hope does what it says it will do. And, and he was a man of character. And we can be people of character as well with God's help. And we might think, I'm not that convincing, but it's character that convinces. We've said this before, when, when charisma walks in the room, everyone notices, but if all you have is charisma, eventually nobody follows you. When character walks into a room, nobody notices, but eventually people follow you. Because character does what it says it will do. Character at some point is able to pour out its arms and say, it is finished. And we can be people of character because the Holy Spirit is in us working out our salvation. So there are no excuses. There are no excuses. And almost uh, finally, um, no, actually not quite finally, it says this, I'm not very good at speaking Exodus 4, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. I've already mentioned that I'm slow of speech and tongue. I remember one day at school, again, forgive me, just telling school stories, but I think God sometimes speaks to me in simple ways. And I was at school, I have two loves in my life, sweets and Jesus. And uh, when I was a kid, I had a bag of toffees. And one day the school bully came up to me in front of a whole group of people and he said, um, Gibbs, you're a Christian, so give me some of your sweets. Now, you will know that when you're 14 or 15, that's a trick situation. That's a no-win situation because if I don't give them them, it, they'll say you're not a Christian. If I do, they'll say it's just because you're scared. So this sounds really simplistic, but this was when I first become a Christian. I read something in Scripture, and the Scripture said that if we stand up for Jesus... If we stand in front of people who persecute us or we're talking about our faith, God will give us words to say. Up until this moment in time, I didn't believe that would happen. But I was, I was in this situation. I thought, I said to 
let me just think about it for a minute. And in my mind, I'm praying, what do I do? And then this idea came to my mind, it's really simple. And I said to him this, you're right, I am a Christian, I'll give you some sweets, but first, you have to say please. And he went, please, cheers. Because <laughs> that's how we walk in Manchester, so. And as simple as this is, I'm realizing more and more and more, even at the age of 14 and 15, there are no excuses. There are no excuses. And finally, I want to say a, a story that, that really touched me and kind of bring it to a little bit of a close, which is eventually um, Moses says this. Sorry, I realize I've not said I'm not very good speaking. He says this, please send someone else. Exodus 4, verse 13. Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. Please send someone else to do it. So uh, we believe as leaders that God has placed Saints Church here not primarily because it's convenient, um, but because he wants us to have an impact in our community to bring God's love, not to accuse, not to judge, but to bring God's love. And for some reason, he's chosen us and you. And in God's mind, there are no better people. Tag, you're it. It's what the disciples would say to us, tag, you're it. Um, but I don't know, I've really said to God, send someone else to do it. I, I do something different. So I had um, a, a grandfather who's called, I used to call him Grandpops. He was my favorite. I, when I was young, I had a full set of grandparents. One of them was called Grandpops. And uh, I loved him. He was like the mad professor out of Back to the Future. And uh, he would do anything to make us laugh. And, and he was just a wonderful, wonderful guy. I absolutely loved him. Uh, when I was around about um, 20 years old, he was diagnosed with cancer. And so uh, he asked me, um, he said, Paul, he lived in London, but he said, Paul, I know you're a Christian and I know I'm dying. What do I need to do? Now, I can stand in front of thousands of people with no nerves at all when I speak. The largest group was some like, well, the, in Brazil, the police said it was 120,000. I think it was about 30. Um, but it was a lot of people, no nerves. With my family, it's different. Anybody else like that? I don't know, I, I can't tell you why that is, it just is. So rather than saying him, well, grandpops, let me tell you about the gospel. You see, at Easter, we celebrate the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross to atone for our sins, that we can never, ever be good enough. But he loved you so much, he died on the cross and your sin was put on him. And then he rose three days later so you can have hope. You just need to repent of your sin and follow him. I didn't do that because what fear does is it makes you compromise so I did was I got my bible I opened some verses I said read that grandpops it'll really help you and I went home back to Manchester so um a couple of weeks later I got a, a letter very very shaky because he was he was literally dying he couldn't write properly he said dear Paul thank you for the gift it was the most precious thing anybody's ever given me but I don't understand it, and I'm still very scared. So I thought, this is crazy. So I made a, um, I put some time off work to go back to go and see him and to talk to him. And uh, just before I was to go, my mum woke me up in the morning and said, passed away. So for me, one of the worst days in my life was his funeral. Because I walked into the graveyard, and uh, my grandmother came 
She ran up to me. She gave me a huge big hug, stepped back, tears, eyes full of tears, and said, Paul, where is he? And I said, I don't know, Graham. Because I believe for a fact that Jesus is the difference between our eternal destiny, between the difference of heaven and hell. What I wanted to say, hey, Gran, don't worry. Let me just tell you, a few weeks ago, we prayed together. He said this prayer, and, and he meant it in his heart, and, and now he's in heaven. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but let me give you some descriptions of heaven. That's what I wanted to say. Actually, I said, I don't know, because I can't lie. I don't know. It's a horrible, horrible thing. The devil plays on our fears. And Moses was no different. God calls him to rescue a couple of million people. And the devil gives him all these excuses. And his final excuse is, please send someone else to do it. You know, I believe that faith activates God. It's amazing. God calls people, even though we're not perfect. If we have a little bit of faith, forgive me for using this expression, it, it turns God on. God, there's something about when we, have, when we believe him and put what he says into action, it excites God. And even though we're not perfect, he uses us. It seems to me in the same way, fear activates the devil. When he sees a fear within us, even though we think, well, I won't do this, I'll, I'll do something next time God gives me something to do. We've kind of, in my mind, simplistically, shown our poker hand to the devil. This is what you need to press if God ever asked me to do something. And sometimes uh, uh, I was asked a question a while back because I was talking to somebody about heaven and hell. And, uh, you know, some Christians, I guess, choose not to believe that hell is real. I want to do the same. I just can't. And, uh, and uh, in a discussion we had, um, somebody was berating people who, who are Christians who don't believe hell maybe is eternal. And he said this, he said, what's, what's worse, he said, the person who does not believe in hell or the person who does believe in hell but doesn't do everything they can to rescue their neighbor, their family and their friends. And that hit me. Um, so this Easter, um, you exist because God wanted someone exactly like you. And God has called you to be a neighbor to your neighbors. And there are no excuses. There are no excuses. There will be mistakes. But there are no excuses. I'll finish with this final verse because it's one of the most encouraging verses in the entire Bible. Moses eventually says yes. And then a long time later, after all sorts of hardship on the journey... The people of God massively let God down. They make an idol. Moses is distraught. And this is what he says to God. Now listen to this. It's bizarre when you think about it. He says this. Exodus 32, verse 31 to 32. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. That's amazing. If you don't forgive them, don't forgive me. What on earth had happened to Moses? 
from a guy who made all these excuses to a guy who would say, okay, God, if you don't forgive them, don't forgive me either. What, what changed? All I know is this. As you go, God goes with you. And as you go, God goes with you and transforms you. And this Easter, uh, maybe you're a Christian who believes but doesn't really do. Maybe you're happy to be just rescued, but God is calling you and you are being recruited. And um, I would just encourage you that this Easter to respond to that call. You will make mistakes, it's a given. Uh, you're going to mess up. You're going to say the wrong thing. Uh, you're going to do the wrong thing. No excuse. Moses' story is that God is looking primarily for someone who is available, someone who will do what he's asked to do and give it our best shot. So that's an Easter story. It's a bit different from what we normally do, but I think we just have to remember why God called us, why Jesus came, because you're loved, but because they're loved just as much as well. Let's pray, and uh, we're going to close our eyes and ask Ryan and, uh, to come up. I wonder, just as uh, Ryan just plays uh, gently, if we can just begin to ponder. I'm just going to ask us to a couple of questions as we begin to finish our service. Uh, the first question is, um, have you been making excuses? And which one? of Moses' excuses do you identify with? And maybe this morning would be a good time just to confess our excuses to God. And Lord, I, I confess I've been making this excuse. So I'm going to give a, a chance just for a couple of us just to do that this morning, just to confess I'm sorry for making this excuse. I'm going to try my best. God help me not to make it again.